Welcome to another Ye Publish Yourself podcast. In this segment, I talk with author Paul Austin Ardwan about his progress toward becoming a full-time writer and the techniques he has found for increasing discovery for his mystery series and gaining new readers. Settle back and enjoy the listen. Today I'm speaking with Paul Austin Ardwan, author of the Fenway Stevenson Mystery Series. Good morning, Paul, and thanks for agreeing to this early morning interview. Great to be here, Lee. I've just been reading and enjoying book one in your series, and uh, a question occurred to me. I mean, what what do you think it is about mysteries that make them such an uh, enduring genre for readers and, and always very popular? I think that mysteries, first of all, are one of the more the more formulaic genres uh, that, that there are out there. So the readers know what to expect. They know that in the first 20% of the book, they are going to meet the killer. And they also know that in the first couple of chapters, the murder is going to happen that will take them on the journey for this. They also expect that there will be at least a little bit of a character arc, if not for the sleuth themselves, for one or two of the secondary characters that are that are more at the, at the forefront there. They know that the ending is going to be wrapped up in some form. The sleuth will usually determine the identity of the killer, even if that killer isn't able to be brought to justice. And that justice can look like a bunch of different things. So I think within the the structure, which is it's a pretty rigid structure at, you know, at this point you have to establish uh, the murder. At this point you have to have met the killer already. At this point, there must be a reversal at this point, uh, et, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but within that, there are a lot of little surprises that can happen. So I think mystery readers find a lot of comfort in the structure, but also, uh, uh, but also are, are surprised as things, as things move along. And in, in that respect, I think it's, it's a lot like, uh, like the romance genre. And it's probably one of the reasons why it's usually number two or number three in uh, in the genre sales. That makes sense. Yeah, I think romance still is number one in, in oh, absolutely, most yes. publishers, but I understand what you're saying about the structure. I mean, I'm about to maybe 12 or 13 percent into uh, book one, and Fenway's already getting into uh, quite a few feisty confrontations <laughs> and, and, and issues and uh, uh, Mm-hmm. I'm just curious if there was a model that you had for uh, Fenway when you envisioned the character, and or is it a mix of people you've known in real life? It is a mix of people. Um, the The way I got the idea was uh, my wife was looking into potentially going into a nursing program, and she was doing some research on what kind of uh, what kind of careers she could have. Uh, as as a nurse, and one of them happened to be a coroner. In California, you don't have to have a medical degree uh, to be a, a coroner. You don't have to have an MD to be a coroner. And so, as a as a forensic nurse, she could she could serve that. She couldn't be a medical examiner, uh, but she could be a coroner or she could be a medical examiner's assistant. And she was like, "Oh, that would be really interesting." And I started thinking, well, what sort of circumstances? 
would lead a nurse who thought she might be on a nursing career trajectory to become a, a coroner. I, I like fish out of water stories. Uh, and I like it when people are confronted with unexpected, challenging circumstances and how, and how they overcome it. So I, uh, I started thinking about this, uh, uh, this, this woman and, and how, and how it would happen. And I started thinking about this narcissistic father, uh, who, uh, basically engineers it so that, uh, that she would get this coroner position when she moves back to town. One of the, one of the ways that, uh, the father's narcissism, um, shows itself is through Fenway's name. He's a massive Red Sox fan. And of course, he can't name his only child uh, something um, within the you know the top 100 names, baby names of that year. He has to go with the name of his favorite baseball team's stadium. There's a lot of my wife in in Fenway. Um, I also have a, a good friend who has had some of the challenges that Fenway had growing up uh, as a half black, half white. Um, uh, person, um, both from uh, both having the experience from the white parent being a little bit insensitive to uh, what what she was going through, as well as the uh, the experiences she had with uh, her black classmates growing up, thinking she's not quite black enough. Um, so. Uh, there, I think those two people, uh, the mix of them is it probably the, the, uh, the core, maybe 60% of Fenway's personality comes from, uh, comes from them. And they're both, uh, quite outspoken. Um, they're both, uh, I, I, I guess feisty would be a, a good word to use for both of them. Has she evolved? You know, I'm just starting the series, but I'm just curious, uh, how much she has evolved over the is it six books in the series now, or is it seven? I'm uh, the sixth book is coming out on September 22nd, so mm -hmm. three weeks from the recording of uh, this. Um, I'm uh, I've planned a seventh book, and I've started writing that as well. And I'm uh, I'm leaving the door open after the seventh book for for more. Uh, but there's definitely a character arc for not only Fenway, uh, but Fenway's father, Fenway's stepmother. Uh, the sheriff in, uh, in, in book one uh, has quite a character arc as well. Their relationships, um, their relationships very much grow and evolve throughout the series. Um, I, one, of the, one of the things that, uh, that you'll see in, in book one is that, that Fenway really can't stand her stepmother, who's only seven years older than she is. Uh, but by book six, people have been talking about with, with the reviews that they've been um, sending me, talking about how much they've appreciated that the relationship between Fenway and her stepmother has grown and changed and, and evolved. Um, that's one of the things that they say is has been very satisfying to see throughout the series. I'm imagining that because of the nature of, uh, as you mentioned, mystery writing tends to be a bit formulaic. Do you normally work from an outline or are you one of these writers who actually jumps into a book with a general idea of where you're going and then rounds out the edges as you go? 
The first three books I wrote, um, well, the first book I wrote completely uh, pantsing it, um, as as they say, or um, uh, being a discovery writer, as uh, Joanna Penn likes to say. Uh, I knew who Fenway was, I knew her, who her father was, and I knew who the killer was. But I didn't even know who the victim was when I started writing chapter one. Um, for for book two, I read about how much better it is to outline uh, books. So I created a, a pretty long five-page outline uh, of, uh, of book two. And by the middle of book one, the victim completely changed. And so I basically crumpled up the outline and threw it in the trash and, and, uh, and pants my way through the rest of, of that book. I did the same thing with, uh, with, with book three pantsing that, um, in book four, uh, book four is actually based more on real life than, uh, than any of my other books had, had been. Um, it takes place in a Shakespeare theater troupe. And uh, 25 years ago, I was a member of a Shakespeare theater troupe at, uh, at a college uh, with a professor who was very well known. Um, he got Patrick Stewart to uh, present at the fundraisers, things like that. Patrick Stewart actually wrote his obituary in The Guardian. Uh, so he was a pretty big deal. And he was one of the central characters in the story. So I, I knew that there had been a... Uh, there had been a, an embezzlement um, 20, 25 years ago uh, at this Shakespeare company. And I made the, uh, the embezzler um, the victim uh, of the murder. So it, it, was, it was also um, discovery written, but it had a lot more structure to it in my head when I, when I started than, um, than, than, they usually, than they usually do. For book five, though, book five is what TV writers call a bottle episode, uh, or um, some people call it a locked room mystery, although I don't think that's quite, uh, it it's quite fits the definition. However, it does take place completely within a locked room. Um, and I realized that I would have to outline that because I tried to pants it and I realized I didn't have the right people in the room and I couldn't do what I normally do, which is, all right, well, let's get in the car and go see the right person. <laughs> so, uh, so that didn't work. And it, it worked so well to, to have that. I wrote it once, once I had, had done the outline, um, it, it, it worked, it worked pretty quickly. Um, I had, a, I, it took me a long time to come up with the outline, but I wound up writing the book in about eight weeks. So I did the same thing with book six, uh, and I wrote that in about six weeks after I had finished the the outline. So um, uh, and I so I've I've outlined book seven now, and I would say that I have pretty much moved into being uh, much more of a plotter or or an outliner. I still have things kind of loose. There are some details in there that uh, I'm. I'm just going to work out as I'm writing uh, it because I'm, I'm pretty comfortable with that. And sometimes conversations take a turn that I'm not really expecting when I start the scene and it will lead to other really interesting areas. There will, so for instance, in book six, there was a red herring I hadn't, I hadn't planned on at all because Fenway and, uh, 
and the, the sheriff are having a conversation and she realizes something in the course of that conversation. And I said, oh, she would definitely think that this person was a suspect now. So I have to I have to change. Uh, I have to deviate from the outline. But it's great because I can I have the outline and I know that, OK, at some point I have to come back to to this. I can't go way far out in, into left field to use another baseball analogy that Fenway's father would appreciate. Let's um, shift a little bit to the sales and marketing end of it, because I know you mm-hmm. achieved a milestone recently uh, in terms of the monthly sales, and, and you've apparently uh, come up with a method where you're able to, to kind of steadily keep increasing your, your sales and your readership. Uh, could we talk about the initial launch and then uh, what you've done since then to kind of to kind of work into a more sustainable uh, um, revenue stream yeah. from the book? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so when I launched book one, I had visions of it taking off like the girl on the train and uh, signing and negotiating a Netflix series <laughs> and that sort of thing. Of uh, obviously, that, that didn't happen <laughs> because you haven't seen anything about me in, in the pages of Variety. Um, and one thing I, one thing that I realized that, that did disappoint me, I mean, I knew that was a pipe dream and it wouldn't really happen. Although part of my brain did kind of think it might, uh, one of the things I realized is that I have a lot of friends, family, former coworkers, present coworkers, that kind of thing who thought it was great that I wrote a novel and they went out and bought the novel. Um, I don't know if they ever intended to read the novel. But there were a few who did, and they called me up and they said, this is actually pretty good. (laughs) And I said, oh, well, great. I'm really glad you enjoyed it. So um, they signed up for my mailing list and and and, and followed me on on Facebook and and that kind of thing. But that was it. Um, I I had a couple hundred dollars of of sales the first month, and I'm sure it was almost all two family friends, coworkers, former coworkers. And then it it, uh, it it petered off to forty bucks a month for for the next couple of months. So I started uh, following some of the the book marketing experts, specifically Joanna Penn with her podcast, The Creative Pen. Uh, Mark Dawson with at the time it was called the Self Publishing Formula Podcast. It's now called the Self Publishing Show. And one of the things that uh, that is is very clear that as a self-published author, your your chances of sales are very low unless you have a series. I was fortunate that while book one in the Fenway uh, series can be a standalone, uh, I did leave the door open for uh, for more books, and there were a few unanswered questions uh, in in the book as well which I sort of had seeds in my head of, of a, uh, uh, of a conspiracy that would, that would run a multi-book arc. Um, and Mark Dawson in particular says that, uh, that you need a, a reader magnet, something that will, will draw people. And usually people do a, a prequel to their, uh, to their series, a prequel novella. So something that's, 20 or 30,000 words 
that they give away for free. And then at the end of the book, sign up for my mailing list. Here's book. Here are the links to book one. Um, here are the links to, you know, the, the whole series, that kind of thing. Now, uh, you you read the first few chapters of Fenway. There's really no room for a prequel there. Um, the, right. the start of her story is the start of, of her story. So when I, uh, when I did book two, uh, I took, I took it, I took book one and, uh, I put, took book one out of KU so that I could distribute it, uh, wide and specifically so that I could give book one away for free on, um, some of these websites that allow you to go into genre specific promotions to give away, to give away books and all of the authors send um, these promotions to their mailing lists. And uh, the hope is that enough people from their mailing lists will, uh, will see your book, download it. Um, you have to agree to be on my mailing list in order to download uh, the reluctant coroner for free. Uh, and, uh, and, and then, and then I have a vehicle, um, to communicate with you, the reader to say, Hey, book two is going to be released in two weeks. Um, pre-order it today or, uh, or whatever. And when, when book two launched, I had, I had gone from about 20 or 30 people on my mailing list to 1600 in the space of about six weeks. So, uh, so when I launched book two, um, I, I had more people to buy and more people bought it. Uh, it was, I had a, a $350 month instead of a $200 month when I, when I launched and I continued to, to put book one up as a freebie, uh, to sign up to my newsletter, uh, and, and build that. Now, once you have four or five books in the series. Now you are more likely to, um, to get people to pay attention to you because a lot of readers out there, it's not so much the money to, to spend on books. It's the time and, and effort involved. There's, uh, if, if you're a reader and, and you're spending a couple of hours reading a book, that's no good you don't feel very good about, uh, about it. But when you read a book that's, that's good, you feel very good about how you've spent your time and, and, uh, and, and that kind of thing. Part of it, I think, is maybe this sense of getting involved with certain personalities and a world you're familiar with. And, uh, you know, once you're drawn into that, you start really caring about the characters. And, and I'm thinking of uh, James Lee Burke and his character Dave Robichaud. He's such a complex, interesting character that it's like when you see a new book come out, it's like, oh, I wonder what Dave is up to now. And it's almost like uh, thinking in terms of something bigger, I guess, inhabiting a world that's interesting with characters you know and like, and you know, you want to see what they do next. That that's right, and I think that even even if you're uh, even if you don't think the uh, the book got a ten out of ten. If it was uh, if it was enjoyable and uh, and you were invested in the story and how things came out, you'll get the next book because it, because it is something that you are familiar with that you are pretty sure you're going to 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 enjoy. Right. Uh, I I didn't think I liked the Jack Reacher series, for example. 
until I realized I'd read every one of them. Uh, because I, I, I travel well before COVID I traveled a lot for work and I would get on the airplane and I'm like, Oh, I got to download something. I'll download the next Jack Reacher or I'll download. Oh, I haven't read this Jack Reacher yet. And then I would read it on the plane and I would enjoy it. Um, I, I, I think even Lee Child would, would, uh, would say that, that he's more of a genre writer than a, than a literary writer. But uh, the the books are the books are generally very solid. Uh, the plots are engaging, very propulsive. Um, you know what you're getting with with Jack Reacher. You know there's always going to be the promise of a romance that will probably fizzle out by the end of the book. <laughs> you know what you're getting. Uh, and so when I realized that I had read all the Jack Reacher books, I was like, oh, yeah, I I I need to do something like that if I if I want to be successful. I got hooked into the series the same way, really, and I've probably been through about two thirds of it. And he rarely disappoints. I mean, as you said, he he he's found uh, a channel to work within that is effective, and the readers love it. And uh, you know, it's like you just want to keep going and keep going. And sometimes you don't even realize how uh, how many books you've read over time. Right. Right. And and so I, I think when when a reader has found a, an author that they like, they're willing to spend five or ten dollars on a book because it's really they value their time, I think, um, usually more than they value that that five or ten dollars uh, to uh, uh, to get to that to, to get to that that next book. Um, so so taking that principle um, and having the reader magnet of, of, of book one and the rest of the books in the series, uh, I, for a self-published author, I price it at four ninety nine, which is, I think, on on the high side. Um, although for mystery, thriller and suspense, it's probably uh, about average for a self-published uh, mystery, thriller, suspense author. Uh, but. Uh, but I do know that there are some authors who are like, oh, you price, you price book two at four ninety nine. That's crazy. Um, that's a crazy high is what they, is yeah. what they mean by that. But I, I do find that uh, I'll still, uh, I'll still get a, a very good read through and I've got, um, a, a good read through for a free book that people can download. Um, and if they finish book two, the chances that the, they finish the whole series, are really good. Once they once they buy book three, I'm in the ninety percent uh, read through rate for the for the rest of the series. Now, writing four books uh, took me two years to uh, to do. I'm not one of these uh, rapid release book uh, a book a month um, people. I know I know authors like that, but I'm I'm not one of them. Um, it takes me longer than a month to go through the, the editing process for, um, for the book. But, um, but once I, once I did that, I was able to, uh, the month that my fifth book was released, which was, uh, two years. And I know it was almost exactly two years after I had, had released the first book, I got my first thousand dollar month. And, um, and that means that 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 my hobby no longer costs me money. Um, I can pay for all my editing, all my cover design, all my uh, all my advertising, my uh, my mailing list through MailerLite. It used to be Mailchimp. Um, my web 
um, my website and everything like that and not be losing money every year, which I think is a really important place to get to. The other thing is that when you have that many books in the series and you've gotten to a point where you where you hit that thousand that thousand dollars just through uh, the giveaway sites like BookFunnel and Story Origin, you start to become attractive to um, organizations like BookBub, who um, who actually accepted uh, at me in uh, in I believe it was early June for a promotion in. July and that July promotion for uh, for your your listeners who might not be familiar with with a bookbub featured deal that's like the holy grail for self-published authors um, because it goes out to it depending on your genre but most of the genres go out to over a million subscribers and if you have a free first in series that can be very lucrative and have a return on on your investment. Even though the bookbub is expensive, it's right around a thousand dollars. It can it can have a fantastic ROI, ten to twenty ten to twenty x of of what you uh, of what you put into it. Now that's only for free first in series. I know that if you've got a ninety nine cent book or a two ninety nine book that you're promoting, particularly if it's in the middle of of the series. The ROI isn't that it isn't as high as that, um, but that is that's the goal um, for for a self published author to get to that thousand dollars to be in a place where they have money to spend on advertising and bookbub featured deals and things like free booksy and Robin Reads and Fussy Librarian where they can um, where they can give away their f- first book and get the read through. Um, to the rest of their series. And one other thing I do, I do want to mention um, here is most authors are much better writers after they've finished their fourth and fifth books than they were when they started their first book. And so one of the things that I I did was I rewrote um, probably the first third of book one. Uh, I think I, I, I mentioned earlier in the interview that I didn't know who the murderer or who the victim was when I started writing book one. And let me tell you, it showed it meandered through the first uh, four or five chapters uh, before I really got a sense of what Fenway would be doing in the investigation and, and and that kind of thing. So I, so I went back and I didn't change. I changed. I added one scene it's the scene where Fenway uh, and uh, the sheriff go out to see the uh, uh, the murder scene. Uh, that wasn't in my original uh, draft of the of the book. Uh, but I I just tightened everything up. I, I made things more focused. I tried to ramp up the 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 tension in the dialogue. Earlier in, in my early books, you, you may notice that I use a lot of distancing words. Uh, Fenway thought something, something. Fenway saw something, something. Instead of just, you know, Fenway saw the car at the side of the road instead of just the car was parked at the side of the road. Mm, right. Um, uh, and so I tightened a lot of those things up. And I really think it made a difference for read through once I really started to promote the free book one. There's a huge difference between a 1.5% read-through rate and a 3% read-through rate when 
your when your featured deal is going to two and a half million subscribers. Um, it's it's uh, it, it it can it, it can make you thousands and thousands of dollars uh, if you if you engage uh, the reader with that that reader magnet that that you have. And so it, it's one of the things I would say to to early writers is make sure that if you do decide to have a reader magnet, and I I I, I don't know many successful authors who haven't had a reader magnet to to uh, uh, at some point in their careers to build their, their readership, uh, at least self-published authors. Um, you have to have a really strong reader magnet because otherwise people are going to abandon your series before it gets good. Well, for BookBub, uh, there are certain criteria that you have to, to meet before they'll even consider uh, allowing you into a promotion. I mean, is it uh, fairly steep? Uh, so it's so with a lot of the other books, you can just apply and uh, you'll be accepted. Um, particularly some of the lower cost ones like Book Rebel or uh, or Book Doggy or or or, uh, or those paid newsletters. But for BookBub, they, um, they 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 don't accept everyone. I think they have a very high um, sorry you you didn't make it this time uh, rate. So uh, there, there isn't a set series of parameters or anything like that that uh, that BookBub publishes. But what they want to they they want to make sure that you make money off of of this, or they're going to get a bad reputation in in the market. So they want to make sure that when they send out uh, a book in a BookBub featured deal, it's um, it, it's it's good enough from in terms of the cover and the blurb or the the uh, the product description, um, and that that there's a way for the um, uh, the writer to make their money back, because otherwise, oh, I spent seven hundred dollars on a bookbub featured deal and I only made twenty five dollars in the series is not a good look. So um, I, I, that, I think that is why they reject so many of the, uh, of the authors who apply, of the, bo- of, of the books that apply. Uh, so if you're getting rejected, I would take a, a, a really honest look at your cover, at your blurb, um, and at the first 20 pages of the book to make sure it's engaging enough uh, to get read through to your your next book or engaging enough to get read through if you're if you're planning on selling the book for 99 cents or 2.99 or whatever in the featured deal because that's what readers do they go on to um uh, sites whether it's kobo barnes and noble apple books amazon they can usually read the first uh at least the first few pages often the first 10 percent or 20 percent of the book uh but the cover is the thing that will catch their eye and the the description is the thing that will make them think, Oh, this book sounds like something I'd like to read. And if those things aren't strong, um, first of all, I don't think you're going to get readers as many readers as you want to, to buy, to buy it or to download it or to read it or whatever. And secondly, the people who are gatekeepers like those at, at BookBub are, 
not going to pick your book because they don't think you're going to get the results you want out of their promotion. I mean, it sounds like there's basically two steps that you've talked about so far. One is, is you can't likely escape this whole idea of giving away something at the beginning, something free, whether it's a prequel or, I don't know, a, a, an entire book or, or whatever, just to get the attention of a sufficient number of people and to build up a subscriber list where you'll actually have a little bit of influence on, on what comes next, right? Mm-hmm. Do you Do you find that subscriber lists really are that effective? I mean, people are inundated with email and it seems like that's a an area where it may be tough to get attention with all of the competition. Uh, you've obviously found it, it's been workable for you, right? It, it has definitely been workable for me. Um, I think email, email is how I got from zero to a thousand dollars a month. Yeah. Um, uh, using the reader magnet, building that mailing list and then creating not just, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be selling something here, but, um, but uh, fortnightly, I send my newsletter out. It has reviews of the latest mystery that I've, I've read sometimes. It will have those promos that I've signed up for in, uh, in Book Funnel and Story Origin to promote, uh, to promote other people. I'll do newsletter swaps with other authors that I think are, uh, are good matches for my newsletter. Uh, and then I will sometimes write about the writing process, where I am with the next book. Um, I, uh, I, I took a trip to Stonehenge with uh, the police consultant that I used on book two. And I, I uh, had a blog post about that, which I sent to my newsletter on that same trip to England. I visited 221B Baker Street, uh, which is very disappointing. Don't pay the the, the money to go. I spent the 15 pounds, so you don't have to. Um, but I wrote about that too in the, uh, in the, uh, the, the newsletter. And, and I think that there are enough people that I, I was able to engage with quality content in the newsletter to keep people from just, Oh, this is another sales newsletter. Um, I don't think people, um, read it all the time. And certainly there are just a ton of freebie seekers, that uh, that never opened a, another email again, but for the forty percent of people who uh, who open the email, which is a pretty high but but good uh, solid rate of opening, and for the roughly ten percent of people who clicked on something in, uh, in something in every newsletter that goes out, there's obviously something there that is compelling enough for them to engage with my newsletter. And it's those people, those, those 10% click rate people who pre-order, um, my, my next book. And, and it's, it's those people who, who, uh, who buy the books when, when it comes out. And those are the people who got me to a thousand dollars a month. When you're working on a book, do you back off on the marketing effort considerably, or do you try to do a certain percentage of marketing along with the writing just to keep all the wheels spinning? And do you have any idea what the ratio is between the effort that you put into the marketing as opposed to the hours you put into the book writing? I really do try to do both at once because they're both very important. Um, you need to have that next book in your series 
or you need to have that next series that you can start marketing uh, in order to continue to sell your, your books. Uh, at the same time, you need to be putting effort into marketing your your current uh, your current releases and uh, your your older books in in your series. Maybe you have other uh, other series that uh, that you'd like like to promote as well in order to get sales um, uh, building uh, going forward. They are for me very different headspaces. And I think it's it's very difficult for me personally to uh, to write and do marketing back and forth. And having a day job in corporate America, you get very used to going back and forth between things and always being interrupted by emails and having and the next task on the list and having to juggle a lot of things. For me, it's um, it's taken a lot of discipline to just sit down and write and get into that headspace and get into that zone and, and write. And then remember, you know, you probably should do a couple of hours of administrative work or, or of, of marketing work as well. Um, I, I, I did work with a, uh, a woman six years ago um, who uh, was, was in marketing with me. And um, she quit to uh, when she when she had her her baby and and became a, a stay at home mom. Uh, and right about the time when I started the Fenway series, uh, I kept in touch with her, and she said, "I really need to do something that is is not infant related, <laughs> at least for a few hours a week." And I said, "Well, would you like to run my newsletter?" I'll pay you a certain percentage of, of sales, which is not very much right now, but it'll only take a couple of hours a, a, a week for you. Uh, it's, it, it's pretty much exactly what you used to do when we worked together. Uh, and who knows, this might, this might turn into something somewhat lucrative down, down, down the road for you. So I was lucky in that I do have somebody who, um, uh, who, is is a, a very good uh, marketing assistant, and over the years, it's grown into more than just managing my newsletter. Um, it's uh, uh, she does a proof on the on the the final. She's uh, she's she's very good with that. She's not my only proofreader, but she's one of them. Um, she's uh, done a lot with uh, marketing efforts with Facebook ads, um, with uh, with getting uh, the the blog. Uh, posts out there with coordinating the uh, the book funnel and story origin uh, promos, uh, all of those things that take headspace away from writing uh, from from me. Now, not to say that uh, not to say that I don't do any marketing anymore. There's there's quite a bit that I that I still do, but uh, but having somebody like that has been really helpful for me. Now, I, I think I kind of lucked into that, so I. I can't really put that down as a best practice if you're a, a, an, an author starting out. But if there is somebody you know who is in a sim- similar situation like that and needs two or three hours a, a week of, of, of additional work and is willing, to, uh, is willing to go on the author journey with you, um, it might be, it, that might be something that would be worthwhile. Sounds like you're getting... Uh... Some of the benefits you get from a traditional publisher, uh, maybe even more so, because traditional publishers can be kind of lax uh, in a lot of cases. 
One of the reasons I chose to self-publish instead of applying to agents who would then have to apply to publishers, assuming that one of them even said yes to me, um, is because I'd heard um, horror stories from people I knew who were traditionally published, whose, uh, whose publisher simply did not give the book the marketing attention that they thought it deserved or the, uh, uh, the attention that it would require to, um, to have the sort of, uh, of sales for them to, to maintain, um, the being, being employed as a full-time writer. Um, first of all, the, the, the royalties you get per sale are so much less with traditional publishers, with self, with self publishers, you get 70% of, of what Amazon sells minus the, uh, delivery fee, which is usually just a few pennies. Uh, the same thing for, um, the same thing for, uh, Barnes and Noble and, and Google play and Kobo, they're all 65% or 70%. And, and Amazon's the only one I know that has the delivery fee. Um, so you're, you're for a four ninety nine book, it's, you can get between three twenty three dollars and 24 cents and, and $3 and 40 cents, 45 cents, uh, per sale. Whereas if you were doing that with a traditional publisher, the ebook would be 1399 and you're, you'd be lucky, I think, to get a dollar, maybe $2, um, out of, out of that sale. And you're not in control of your marketing. So if, if you were seeing a slump in sales, the, you could call your publisher. First of all, you don't, wouldn't have visibility into the sales because the publisher has the visibility in the sales, not you. So you couldn't even get on the phone with your publisher and say, Hey, I noticed my sales are slump, slumping. Can we, uh, run a couple more, uh, uh, newsletter ads in, uh, in, in, in free booksy? Can we drop down book one of the series to 99 cents? Can we, uh, can we have a buy one, get one, um, uh, sale in Barnes and Noble this month. Those, those kinds of things. I have control over that, and my marketing assistant can alert me where uh, where things are are uh, uh, are are falling by the wayside. If Facebook ads aren't converting as much as they should be, or if uh, one of the things she, she just said is, "Hey, remember that Facebook ad that was uh, twenty five cents per click? Well, it's gone down to eleven cents per click. So I'm." I'm ramping things up. Um, the, just the amount of control that I have on a day, a day in and day out basis is so much better than, um, than I think uh, I would get as a traditional publisher. And, and also, I could publish when I wanted to publish. I didn't have to go through an agent gatekeeper. I didn't have to go through a publishing gatekeeper. And I'm, uh, one, of my, one of my biggest flaws is that I'm impatient. And the, the, the two plus years that I would spend trying to get an agent and a publisher for the reluctant coroner seemed just seemed like a non-starter when, uh, when I saw that stretching, stretching out ahead of me. And so when I started listening to the, to the, the podcasts and, and seeing that there was a, a real way that I could make, uh, some, uh, some good hobby money off of this, uh, at, at, at worst and maybe build a career off of it at best. Uh, it's, it seemed like it was the way to go. Do you see this is becoming 
your full-time work at some point? And how soon down the road would that be possible, uh, do you think? And also, are you considering any other series now that you've got one successful series going? Have you thought about uh, you know, starting up another series maybe in a totally different genre or different area? So I, I do think that that there is a possibility that I could make this my my full time work. I'm I'm I still have a uh, I still have a day job and I still like the day job uh, quite a bit. Uh, but there really is nothing um, more satisfying than um, than being an author and connecting with readers and um, and seeing um, having a, a reader email you about how much they, they like their, like your books that they just burn through in a weekend. Um, so that is something that I definitely want to have as a goal. I don't think I can do that with just one series. I know that there are authors out there who have done that successfully with one series, Mark Dawson being one of them with the John Milton series, but even he has, uh, has put other series out there. The, the Isabella Rose and the Beatrix Rose series. He just started a, a, a new uh, murder mystery series. In fact, uh, uh, the Atticus Priests uh, series. So I have a few ideas percolating in my head for other series that I, that I can run. All of them are in the mystery thriller suspense uh, genre. Uh, not all of them are murder mysteries. Um, for example, I have... Uh, I have one about uh, a scientist and uh, his estranged daughter uh, who's in her early 20s who uh, go on the run from the feds who, because he was set up for a crime he didn't commit. Uh, I think that sounds like a lot of fun there. I think there are elements of Jack Reacher in it. Uh, I, I think there are elements of the old Incredible Hulk series from the late 70s with Bill Bixby in it that I think would be a lot of fun to, uh, to revisit because, uh, I don't think there's a, a lot in pulp, pop culture that, that is exploring that particular, uh, trope right now. Um, I have, uh, I have a private investigator, uh, in my head who I could shape a, a, a 12 book series around. And, um, and I'm trying to, trying to find the one thing that would, that would, that would get that to, to move to number one, because I think that would really appeal to Fenway fans. So, uh, there, there are, uh, there are other things that I, that I, that I think I'm, I'm going to be writing, but I, I think, uh, when you have not just, not just, uh, one free book one, but if you have three or four book ones that start three or three or four different series, uh, and you can be getting, uh, money from the read through of all of them. That means instead of running one bookbub featured deal a year, you could potentially run three to four bookbub featured deals a year. Uh, and that also means that you can swap books out with free booksy and fussy librarian and book rebel and book doggy and, and, and all of those that are, um, that can get your, uh, your read through, through up, uh, as opposed to um, saturating uh, the readership with uh, with with one series, so I'm I'm excited for uh, for what that's that's going to bring. That does mean that um, that being a full time author is probably at least three years at the minimum, probably more like five or six years uh, out for me. But um, but I'm having a lot of fun writing. 
Yeah, and that's really the most important thing. Uh, I think there's an intersection between what you like to write and what will sell that Mark Dawson talks about. Finding that is the, the, the key point for success as an author. I mean, you could like to write Emily Dickinson style poetry, but that doesn't sell a lot right now. Uh, and at the same time, if you say, I'm going to write the Jack, the next Jack Reacher series, but you don't actually like to write that kind of a book, it's going to come off uh, as inauthentic. You're not going to hit the right tropes and, and it's going to, it's going to fail. Um, and I speak from experience. I, I, uh, I created a pen name in a genre that I had no business being in and it, uh, it, it flopped. So, um, I, I think as uh, you know, new authors, some of them want to be very pure in what they do. Some of them want to be very commercial in what they do. I think you can actually do both. And the intersection of that is where you're going to find success. Well, it's been wonderful talking with you, Paul. I really appreciate your time. I appreciate it too, Lee. Thanks very much for having me on. Be looking forward to book seven, which is coming out when, did you say, uh, later this month? Uh, book six is coming out on oh, September 22nd. Okay. It's yeah. called uh, it's called The Watchful Coroner. All of my books have uh, The Something Coroner as the title, The Reluctant Coroner. Uh, the Watchful Coroner is book six. And I'm starting work, work on book seven. I'm hoping to have that out uh, uh, maybe January if I'm... Uh, if I'm lucky, although that might be a little too aggressive of a timeline. Excellent. Sounds good. Thanks very much. Thanks for your time, Lee. Thanks for listening. We hope you'll join us for the next episode in this ongoing series.